If you think about the resurrection, you know, it's, it's not the, hey, have you heard the story about? No, it's the story that everybody has heard a little bit about, okay? All right, we, uh, everybody, we're all somewhat familiar with the story. But as I was thinking this week, I was like, you know what? I don't know. You know, I think maybe a lot of us, we just haven't heard the story for a while. All right, like the story leading up to it, leading up to the, the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus and how that all fit together. I think a lot of us, we've heard bits and pieces. I mean, at Grace, we talk about the resurrection all the time. I mean, that really has everything, you know, that means everything for Christianity. If we don't have the resurrection, then every single one of us, we're wasting our time here this morning. Every, sing, every single time we go to church, all right, if, if there was no resurrection, we'd just be wasting our time. Me as a pastor, think about it, how sad that would be. Me as a pastor, I'm wasting my entire life because this is what I do for a living. Right? The resurrection means everything. And so this morning, what I want to do, I mean, at Grace, we mention it, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about bits and pieces about it, but, but this morning, what I want to do is I just want to tell the story, all right? I just want to tell the story, tell you what happened, because it's a central theme to true Christianity. It means everything. See, we as a church, we don't believe that Jesus died and came back to life just because some dusty book tells us. It's so much deeper than that. We, we as believers, we believe uh, that Jesus rose from the dead because a first century follower named Matthew, who was with Jesus, sat down and he documented the life of Jesus and he documented the resurrection saying, hey, this happened. Like I was there. I saw this. I was an eyewitness to this. See, we believe because a Greek named Mark, who actually was a teenager when Jesus was put to death and resurrected, um, that he, he knew the disciples and was friends with them. And, and I, you know, we assume that he was around Jesus during this time. And after talking with them and after seeing the things that he saw, this guy concluded that Jesus rose from the dead. So we believe because a Greek doctor named Luke all right, traveled around investigating the claims. He traveled around. He did interviews. He was talking to people, all these people who said they saw Jesus after he had died. And he talked to enough people who had seen Jesus that he concluded that Jesus must be alive. Like, it must be true. And he writes for us the Gospel of Luke. Actually, in Luke, how he starts off his letter in, in chapter 1, verse 1, this is what he says. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's like, a whole bunch of people have done this. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the, of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. This was the guy that he was writing to. So that you, Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. He's saying, I went through and I carefully investigated each claim that all these people have, this claim that Jesus rose after he had died, that he came back to life. He's like, I found out that it was actually true, and I, and I believe that it's true. And then he's writing to this guy saying, hey, and you've heard this too, and I'm writing you so that you can know that it is true. See, we believe, we as the church believe because a lowly fisherman named John, who was actually with Jesus during his three years of, of public ministry, he documented it, documented it. He documented the life of Jesus. He documented the resurrection for us, saying, hey, I saw, these, I saw this take place with my own eyes. I watched this happen. 
I saw Jesus. We believe because another fisherman named Peter wrote two letters to the church saying, hey, these things actually happened. Like, I know it's hard to believe, but Jesus actually came back to life. And Jesus, he was killed for his, or Peter was killed for his faith. We believe because James, the brother of Jesus, said that Jesus was his Lord and that he was Jesus' servant. Now think about that for just a second, okay? What would it take for, your, for you to call your brother, all right, Lord? What would it take for you to say, hey, I'm a servant of my brother? See, when Jesus was doing his ministry, James, he didn't believe. He didn't believe until after Jesus died and after he rose again. James, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't convinced by, you know, Jesus' ministry. Or he wasn't impressed by his sermons, by his talks, by his teachings, by Jesus' tricks or his so-called, you know, miracles. See, something so unbelievable happened that convinced James. And he writes it about it. See, we believe because a guy named Paul who hated the church, he hated the church, he would go around and drag people out of their homes, and men, men and women, it didn't matter to him, and he would have them thrown in prison. Paul was the guy who stood while Christians were being stoned to death because they believed in the resurrection. They believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But then something happened in Paul's life. He actually saw Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior that the Jews were waiting for, that Jesus did rise from the dead. And, and, and again, he, he actually got to see him. See, something convinced these people, and something changed their lives. See, a lot of us, I think we can understand the, you know, the changing lives thing, right? Because we're doing this coronavirus deal. I mean, look, look how we've changed church. We're out here to drive in. All right? It's weird. It's different. We've never done this before. Okay, a lot of us, our lives have changed. A lot of us, we're either we're out of work or maybe we're doing work at home now, and that's different. For a lot of us, our, our kids are there 24-7. My kids, I think I counted this. Um, I think my kids have left Green Springs twice. Actually, if they're here today, I saw them. So three times in the last four weeks. Life's different, all right? Even the way that we think, okay? If you're like me, you go to the store. I, uh, I've been doing the grocery shopping, and I've been going to the store for different things and because uh, Kate's staying at home with the kids. We don't want them out there. And, and so I'm at the store, and it's like you walk into the doors, if you're like me, and it's like everybody's the enemy. It's like, who's got it? I know it's here. It's here in Seneca County. All right, you got it. You got it. Don't touch me. You're in my six-foot radius. Back off. You know what I mean? People are wearing masks. I have people coming up to me at the store this week, and they're wearing masks. They're like, hey, Pastor Zach. And I'm like, hey, I have no idea who you are because you're wearing a mask that's covering most of your face. All right? I can't tell by your eyes. Um, you know, it's just, it's just funny. The way we do life is just, it's just different. Uh, I was at Lowe's this past week, and you know they got the, like, plexiglass thing in between you and the cashier? You know what I'm talking about? All right? You guys have seen that? They do that at other stores, I think, uh, now, too. And, uh, and I'm there. And, you know, that's that that's kind of gross. You know, it's not necessarily always clean, and you're like, this is what people have been breathing on and hacking on for like the last, you know, three weeks. And so I'm sitting there, and, and you know, you're in between, you got this plexiglass thing, and you're in between you and the cashier, and at one point, I had to reach down and, and sign a receipt, and my whole 
face, my whole face just smashed up against it, my lips, everything. And I could just feel the coronavirus just, just infiltrating my body. It was gross, man. Ugh. The, uh, I was also, while I was there, I had this guy who was like hacking everywhere. And, uh, and you know, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he, but then he reached in his pocket and he handed me his business card for like no reason. I'm like, thanks. I'll set this over here. I'll put this in my pocket. Yeah, and I'll never touch it again. He just needs burned. Now think about it. our whole lives have changed. Even the way that we think has changed. Right? But someday, hopefully soon, the way that we do our lives, I mean, is, is going to return to normal. But these guys who wrote this stuff, their lives changed forever. Most of these guys, except for John, we're not 100% sure, but most of these guys, they went to their death saying, no, 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 I, you don't understand. It's true. It's true. It's true. Like he rose from the dead. It is, it is true. And they documented what they saw with their own eyes, and they documented what they heard from others, and they documented what they knew it was true. And years later, these documents were collected to form the New Testament of the Bible. And probably all of us here today have copies of those documents sitting at home on a shelf under a bed collecting dust. Most of us don't even read it. But the truth found in there means everything. It means everything. See, one of the reasons why you should believe that, that these guys are telling the truth, these eyewitness accounts are real, is because these guys, they didn't write themselves in as the heroes like, I mean, I would. Um, I wouldn't want everybody to know all the dirt, all the things that I did. These guys didn't do that. All right? These guys are brutally honest, even when it made them look bad. I mean, they describe themselves as, chief, as the chief of sinners or the worst of the worst. They describe themselves as being filled with fear. They describe themselves as, as being doubters. Right? Nobody expected Jesus to raise from the dead. I mean, everybody expected Jesus to do what all dead people do. You know what all dead people do? They stay dead. All right? Everybody expected that. Nobody expected Jesus to do the opposite, to be raised from the dead, even after Jesus had told them. See, nobody, not even his closest friends, thought it was going to happen. They all thought that he would stay dead. I mean, think about it. On the first Easter, right, what are they doing? They're not all there at the tomb like, all right, all right, he said three days. It's been three days. Okay, 6 a.m., the sun should be coming any minute now. He's going to walk out of here. This is going to be sweet. You ready for this? I'm pumped. Okay. They're not doing that. You know what they're doing? And this is, They're the ones who tell us what they were doing. You know what they were doing? They were hiding because they were freaked out because they were scared. All right? They're probably all thinking the same thing. Like, wow, the last three years that we've been with Jesus doing his ministry, complete waste. It's just complete waste. Like, he's not who he said he was. Right, we were fooled, we were tricked. I mean, he was a good guy. We loved Jesus, and he was, he was so nice to have around, and, and we were good friends, but he wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't God. I mean, on that very mor morning, they're probably thinking about the crazy week that they had just had. It started out the Sunday before, okay, what we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going there to celebrate a holiday called the Passover. Passover, a lot of you maybe know or you've heard that before. Um, we actually get introduced to that all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And we see that's where God, he saves, whoa, all right, won't get that close. Okay, God, he, uh, he, with Moses, God uses Moses to lead the people of Israel out of 
Egypt. And uh, God says, hey, I want you to celebrate this. I want you to remember what I've done for you. So we're going to do this thing. It's going to be a holiday. It's going to be called the Passover. And I want you to do this to commemorate what I've done for you. And so here, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus is around, they're still doing this holiday, which they still do today. And uh, Jesus, he's riding into Jerusalem, which was like the epicenter of worship in that day. And, and the Jerusalem's filled with people because everybody's coming from all around to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Everybody's excited. And he's riding in there on a donkey, and there's crowds of people, and they're all waving palm branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna to the King of Israel! See, the Jews, they were waiting for this Messiah. Messiah just means Savior. That was promised to them back in the Old Testament because God's saying, hey, all right, I'm going I'm to give you somebody. I'm going to send somebody who's going to save you. See, the Jews, but they, they, they didn't quite understand what, he, what that meant. And so they assumed that this meant politically. They, they were going to bring their country back. And at this point in, in history, Rome owned everybody. Right? They, they owned, like, the world. The Roman Empire dominated and they had dominated Israel, and they owned Israel. And so these people are excited because they think that Jesus is going to be that king, and he's going to lead this revolution. Even the disciples are ready for this. They're going to overthrow Rome. They get to be a country again. They're going to have their, they're going to have their freedom. It's going to be awesome. And so they're welcoming in their king. But the religious leaders, they could hear this happening outside as he was coming down the street. All these people cheering, everybody get excited. They hated it. You know why? Because the religious leaders in Jesus during the last three years didn't quite get along too well. Which you would think, well, Jesus, he would get along with like the religious people really well. Not the case. All right, most of the religious leaders, the rich ruling class, they didn't like what Jesus did. They didn't like that he hung out with sin, sinful people. They didn't like that uh, he claimed to be God. And so throughout the last three years, they've been testing him and uh, asking him hard questions, trying to trip him up, trying to find somewhere where Jesus was wrong so they could tell everybody that he wasn't real. He wasn't really that king. He wasn't the Messiah that people were thinking that he might be. And at this point, they're past testing Jesus. They're determined to kill him. And so when they hear the crowds cheering for Jesus and cheering on Jesus, they are enraged by it. And they're trying to come up with a way to kill him. A couple days later, Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, sneaks out from, I don't know, whatever they were doing. And he goes to the religious leaders and he offers to give them Jesus for cash. And they're pumped because they're like, wow, that was easier than we thought. All right, Judas, all right, Judas, you're our guy. And so Judas leaves them looking for a way that he could find, looking for a way that he could trap Jesus and get him arrested. A couple more days pass, and now it's Thursday. And the disciples, they, they're getting ready for the Passover meal. They go to the upper room um, of some guy's house. Just a big room up there, and, and this Passover meal is kind of the main thing for this holiday, and so they're, they're all getting ready for that. This, this is the whole reason why they're going to Jerusalem. And uh, when they're up there that night, Jesus is, he, he actually says, a, he has a lot to say to them, and a lot of it's encouraging, and he tells them, hey, I want you guys to remember me. And then he serves them by washing their feet, which is what, something a servant would do. And then he says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Well, the disciples, they hear this, and they're all at the table. They're like, Whoosh. every single one of them are like, well, not me. I'm not betraying you. I got you, Jesus. I'm on your side. 
And they're all starting to point at each other like, who is it? Is it you? Is it you? Kind of like when I walk into Walmart. I'm like, you got it. You got it. Is it you? And they're all looking at each other. And uh, an argument breaks out where it's like, you know, I can see Thomas doing it. So it's, it's definitely not me. But I can see Thomas. He's a doubter, right? I mean, he, he's known for doubting. So it's probably him. Or, or maybe it was Matthew. Or, or they start blaming each other. And then they start arguing about who's the greatest. Right, isn't this crazy? Like, this is the last night that Jesus is alive, and Jesus' disciples are up celebrating, uh, uh, you know, the, the holiday that God has told them to do, celebrating the Passover together with Jesus, and they're arguing about who's better than the other. See, these guys are brutally honest when they're writing this about themselves. At one point, Jesus says, actually, you guys are all going to fall away. And when Peter hears that, he stands up. He's like, no way, Jesus. I got you. I'm Peter. Right? I, I, I got your back, Jesus. And then he says, even if I have to die for you, I'm willing to die for you. Right? I'm here. I always got you. And then Peter in front of every, or and then Jesus in front of everybody, he says, Peter, before tomorrow morning, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, He's like, you're going you're gonna to deny that you even know me, not once, not twice, but actually three times. Had to have been a little awkward there, right? Like, uh, all the disciples were like, it's you, Peter. I knew it. Peter probably slowly sits down like, uh, that's embarrassing. After the, crowd, or after the meal, Jesus, he takes the disciples to a nearby garden in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. This is what it says. Remember, Matthew is there. Okay, so this is eyewitness. He's saying, hey, this is, this is what happened. Okay, here it is. He says in verse 37, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled because he knew it was about to happen. He said to them, he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed. This is what he prayed. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. <sighs> Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, he actually comes back and all three disciples are sleeping. Hey, you ever do that where you're praying and you're like, I'll just pray for a little while and then you're asleep. <laughs> That's what happens to them. It's late at this point and it's at night and, and they're, they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, we're going to pray for you. And then they start praying and then they all three fall asleep. Jesus comes back and he's like, hey guys, wake up. I really need you tonight. You know, what are you doing sleeping? Like, come on, man. Uh, if you guys, could you guys pray for me, please? Like, I really need this. Stay awake with me. Stay up with me, please. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to pray to God by myself. But if you guys would just pray, I'd appreciate it. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you, Jesus. Sorry about that. And then Jesus goes. He comes back two more times. So three times total. He comes back and they're sleeping. Third time he comes back, Jesus is covered in blood because he is sweating blood. Right, because he's so stressed out. It's actually a medical condition called hermitohydrosis. And he's stressed out about the events that were about to unfold and the pain that he was about to endure for his disciples and for you and me 2,000 years ago. And as he was talking to his disciples and waking them up the third time, as he's bleeding blood, while he's talking, Judas and the guards enter the garden. And he's got a crowd behind him, and they come up. They got their swords, and they got their weapons and their torches, and they come up to where Jesus is at. And, uh, and, and 
Judas comes up and he actually kisses Jesus, which was like the predetermined sign sign that Judas told them, hey, the guy who I'm going to kiss, that's the guy who you need to arrest. That's Jesus. Then I get my money. Yeah, you get your money. All right, so, so the, he comes up and he kisses Jesus, and, and they, the crowd starts to arrest him, starts to carry, take Jesus away. And Peter, he's like half asleep. And remember, Peter's one of those guys we've talked about him. He's half mind, all heart. He's, he, he doesn't know exactly what he's doing all the time. And he, he grabs his sword. He's like, no way. This is the revolution. All right, you can't take Jesus. And he goes, and he's, he goes to kill a guy, and he aims for the head, and he misses, but he does cut off the guy's ear. When Jesus is right there, and he's like, Peter, calm down, all right? We're not fighting here. You get out of here. And then Peter and John and James, they run away. But Jesus, he bends down. He picks up this guy's ear, and he puts it back on the guy's head. Miracle heals him. Crowd's probably like, whoa, who are we arresting? But they take him anyway. They take him to the high priest's house. And uh, Peter, James, and John, they follow in the distance, in the dark, in the shadows. And they get to the high priest's house. And John, he actually knows the high priest a little bit. So he goes in and uh, he, he gets permission to kind of go and be with Jesus. And then he gets permission for Peter just to enter the courtyard. They wouldn't let Peter in. And so they allow Peter in the courtyard. And Peter can kind of see what's going on uh, through um, some openings. And, and they're having this rigged trial on Jesus where they're bringing all these different guys in here, in these false witnesses to say, hey, I saw Jesus doing this. Or, hey, I heard him say this, 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 this. And John tells us their stories don't even add up. Like they don't even, they don't even go with each other. They're all contradicting each other. But in the meantime, G- Peter, he's out in the, in the courtyard, and he's warming himself by the fire. It's probably a little cold that night with some other people gathered around, and, and they're in the courtyard. And this little teenage girl comes up to him, and she says, hey, whoa, 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 aren't you, aren't you one of those guys with, I think I've seen you with Jesus. And Peter's like, no, I don't even know who Jesus is. What are you talking about? Who are you? One of those bad liars. He's like, what? Jesus, what? Who's that? And then somebody else comes up to him and says, hey, aren't, uh, you got to be with him. I, I can tell by the way you talk, like your accent. You guys have the same accent, so you guys are from the same area. You got to be with him. And, and Peter's like, Peter's like, no, I don't know him. And then a third time it happens. And then after he denies that he even knows Jesus the third time, the Bible tells us that, that, that uh, Peter, he looks in at Jesus through the opening, and Jesus actually turns around and their eyes lock. And right then, whatever, I don't know what that look looked like, but whatever look Jesus gave Peter, Peter totally got it that very second. He was like, he understand what he had just done. He remembered the words that Jesus had just spoken to him a few hours before as they were all at the table saying, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three different times. And Peter realized that it actually happened. And he runs away crying, realizing that he wasn't man enough to stick up for Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. At this point, it's early morning, and they take Jesus, and they take him to uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, who's the only one who has the authority to kill somebody or to have them have somebody uh, with capital punishment. And, and Pilate interviews Jesus, and he's asking Jesus all these questions, and Pilate's own words are, I found no grounds for charging this man. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with him, so he sends him to this other Roman governor whose name is Herod, and Herod, he mocks him and sends him back to Pilate. Says, I don't want anything to do with this guy. He doesn't seem to have done anything wrong. I'm sending him back to you. And then Pilate, he tells the crowd, he says, this guy has done nothing wrong. 
And Pilate comes up with this plan, and his plan is, hey, I'll have him whipped, and I'll have him flogged to the point of death, and that will satisfy this crowd. And so he orders it done. It happens. They, they whip and they flog Jesus to where his body is raw. His skin is off. There's blood everywhere. And he comes and he presents this bloody, beaten body before the crowd. And the religious leaders are already ready and they got the crowd going and they're all screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Which was the worst way to die in that culture probably ever. Actually, the Romans invented it as the most painful way of death. They were experts on torturing somebody, keeping somebody alive in the most painful way for the longest time. A Roman citizen wasn't even allowed to be crucified. It was against the law. They would never crucify a Roman citizen. didn't matter what they did. They'd kill him a different way. And the crowd is yelling to crucify him. And Pilate, he's a, at this point, he's afraid of the crowd. And he's worried about a riot for really two reasons. Number one, if there's a riot, he could get killed. Okay. Number two, he could get in trouble with his superiors, with the emperor of Rome. Because of allowing this a revolution or a riot to take place in a huge city like Jerusalem. And so even people in the crowd are yelling, hey, you don't understand, Pilate. He called himself a king, and so you can't be a, ki- you can't be a friend of Caesar and allow him to live. Pilate, when he hears this, he's even more afraid. And he gro- goes and grabs a bowl of water, and he washes his hands in front of the crowd. And he says, I washed this man's blood off my hands, and uh, the crowd says in unison, they say, we'll take his blood. Put his blood on us. It'll be our fault if he dies. And Pilate gives in. In verse, or in John chapter 19, verse 16, it says, then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified, and they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what is called the place of the skull, and then in verse 18, it says, there they crucified him and two others with him, One on either side with Jesus in the middle. Mark, who was just a teenager at this time, he was probably around there, was probably there, describes what, how this happened, and and he says that they were hitting him on the head, they were spitting on him, that they, actually the guards, they dressed Jesus in a robe, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they started bowing down and mocking him. And then they had the cross laid down and they took Jesus, they laid Jesus on the cross and they started hammering in these these iron nails into his wrists and his feet. And once he was nailed to that cross, they lifted him up and he hung there. We see that people were as they were walking by on the road, were laughing at him, and the religious leaders were saying things like, he helped others, but he can't help himself. The two others that were being crucified next to him were mocking him. And at one point, Jesus, after he had hung there for a few hours, at one point, he looks down, and John is there, who's one of our eyewitnesses. John is there, and he's actually next to Mary, his mom. And he looks at John, and he says, he says take care of my mom. And then he looks up and he says, it is finished. And he breathed his last and he died. A few hours later, two prominent men who were actually followers of Jesus, they're actually secret followers of Jesus. They're part of of the religious leaders, but they didn't really want anybody to know that they were followers of Jesus. 
uh, they go up to Pilate and they ask for Jesus's body. It's uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Again, we have such we have their names, we have where they're from. All right, such detail because these are eyewitness accounts. They go up to Pilate and ask for Jesus's body, and they bring they bring seventy five pounds of spices and stuff to to embalm Jesus and to take care of him because they believe he deserved a proper burial. And why did they do this? Because they thought he was going to do what all dead men do, stay dead. And so they pour all this money into his burial, into embalming him. And then on Sunday morning, a couple days pass, and on Sunday morning, they go, uh, some women go to the tomb and, and they open it, and Jesus isn't there. All right, it says this in John chapter 20, verse 2, and this was actually Mary Magdalene was one of the women that were there. And she, It says, so she, Mary, went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, John is referring to himself. And she said to them, she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. By the way, notice she doesn't say, hey, I got good news, guys. It looks like to me that he rose from the dead, just like he said it was going to. Remember when he said that? He's not there, so he must have risen. It's not what she says. Right? Because she didn't think Jesus could rise from the dead. She didn't think he would rise from the dead. She thought he would stay dead. And so she says, somebody has stolen his body. It's not there anymore. Verse 3, it says, at that Peter and the other disciple, John, went out and headed, heading for the tomb. Verse 4, the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. So funny that John puts this in here. He's like, hey, I just want to let you guys all know. Like, this is an important story, but I want to let you know that when me and Peter were running to the tomb, like, we were together at first, but then I just outran him. He was huffing up, huffing way behind me. Just want to let you know that. In verse 5, he says, stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Now, why didn't John go in? Because it's a tomb, people. I know one wants to go into a used tomb. That's freaky. It's dark in there. Right? He, he, last time he was there, he saw somebody getting buried in there. He's not going in. He's just looking in from a distance. And, but that's not who Peter is. Peter's, again, he's all heart. He goes right in. It says, then following him, Simon Peter also came after he caught up. He entered the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place all by itself. Right? Not a robbery. You don't go rob something and folded up perfectly nice. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, John, and he saw and in verse 8 says he saw and he believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. You notice something here? It wasn't Jesus' talks that convinced these people. It wasn't his teachings that convinced them. It wasn't his miracles that convinced people. You know what convinced them? The resurrection. That's what convinced them. It was the resurrection. See, later, Jesus, he starts appearing to them at different times. He appears to a couple here, a couple there. At one point, uh, he has appeared to all, the, all of the 11 disciples left, and except for Thomas, and this is why, we, this is why you've heard the doubting Thomas thing. They, they, he hadn't appeared to Thomas, and they're all telling Thomas, hey, we saw him, we saw him, and Thomas is like, ah, oh, I don't believe you, not unless I can put my hand in, his, in the holes in his arm. Then later, Jesus shows up to him. At one point, we know from Luke that he investigated, he says, yeah, actually, one time, Jesus, he, 
he showed up to 500 people at once. See, 2,000 years ago, something happened that changed the world, and that was the resurrection of Jesus. Something happened where you had these uneducated nobodies who turned the world upside down with their report that Jesus was alive. And they wouldn't stop, even if it was to cost them their life. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been killed. You know why? Because they wouldn't shut up about it. Right, looking at church history, I mean, it's crazy what people have had to go through so that we could know. I mean, Christians have been hung on crosses. They've been shot with arrows. They've been drugged through streets. They've been burned alive. Sometimes, back in the day, they would grill Christians to death, like on a grill. All right, they were fed to lions. They were thrown into the Colosseum. They were skinned alive. They were thrown off buildings. At one point, Nero, who was the next emperor that was going to take over in Rome, who actually, he's the guy who, he beheads Paul and he um, crucifies Peter. And he kills them because they're Christians. But at one point, all right, Nero, he starts going around and he's gathering all the Christians that he could possibly find, all these people that believe in this resurrection thing of Jesus that he thought was crazy. He went and he would take them and he would impale these people on a pole while they're alive, dip them in oil, light them on fire, stick the stick in the ground, and that's how he lit his gardens at night. Burning Christians alive. Why? Because they believed in the resurrection. See, Christians have sacrificed themselves for 2,000 years so that you could hear the story today. So that I could know the story. John writes in, in John chapter 19, verse 35, and he basically says, Hey, I saw this, and I have testified so that you also may believe. See, my testimony is true, and I know that what I am telling is the truth. See, all these guys, they wrote and they sacrificed so that me and you could know the truth 2,000 years later. And that truth is that God died for us, right? That every single one of us, we have a sin problem. We are sinners. We are wrong. None of us are perfect. We all got issues. We're all in the same boat. God originally created Adam and Eve perfect. They, we were created to have a relationship with him. Like, that's why we were created. That was our purpose. But a relationship is a two-way street. God chose to have a relationship with us, but eventually Adam and Eve, they chose to do life on their own. And so all of us since then, we've all been in the same boat where we've chosen to rebel against God. But God had a plan, and he, he, he made a way, and he came down 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life. We as humans, we put him to death, and on that cross, we find out through in the New Testament, on that cross, that God actually poured out his wrath on himself that we deserve. Why do we deserve wrath? Well, it's because God is perfectly just. We don't like to think about that part, that God is perfectly just, meaning that every time we do anything wrong, that has to be paid for. That is the 100% just right thing for him to do. And because he's perfectly just, he, it has to be paid for. But he, on the cross, satisfied his wrath he satisfied his justice, and he satisfied his love in one event. And he died for us. And now every single person here 
every single person who has ever walked the planet, we all got the same choice. What are we going to do with the news? What are we going to do with this truth that's in these pages? And so I just want to, what I want to do this morning is lead you in a quick prayer. I don't, it's not about whatever words you, you use or anything like that. It's not about saying it out loud or looking up at the sky. There's nothing like that. All right, it's, a, it's really a heart condition. It's between you and God in your mind. God knows your every thought. And if you're not sure that you've ever done that, let me just say this. You, you're not sure if you've started that relationship with God like so many of us have. Then my guess is you probably haven't. And so what I want to do real quick is just lead you in a prayer. If you haven't done that, do it today. There's no better day than do that than Easter Sunday, even at a drive-in. So let's all pray real quick, and I'll just lead you in something, something like this. Again, it's not any certain amount of words, but something like this. God, we thank you and love you. Lord, you love us more than anything we could ever know, and you proved that to us 2,000 years ago when you died for us, gave up your life for us. But three days later, you also defeated death and I know you you still live and Lord I'm a sinner I've messed up so many times I'm so far from perfect God I want to invite you into my life I want you to be a part of my life I'm tired of doing life on my own I want that relationship that I was literally designed for that I was created for I want that today and I thank you for the sacrifice that you paid that I will never be able to fully understand. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've done that this morning, let me say this. I challenge you to tell somebody. Like, tell someone. Tell somebody who brought you. Tell somebody who, who invited you. Tell your spouse. Or if you want to, you could tell us. I know we can't talk to each other necessarily in person very easily, but, but one thing you can do is you could text our church. You could just text us your name, and we could talk through the texting. Our phone number is 419-332-2623. You could text us, text us, and we could talk that way. Again, it's 419-332-2623. But think about it. Jesus came 2,000 years ago for something that's he, to save us so much more than just politically. He came to save us spiritually. And people didn't understand it at first. And even his disciples, they didn't believe him at first. They didn't believe that it could even happen. But then it did happen. And they saw it happen. And then they saw him. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James wrote so that you could know. They wrote their eyewitness accounts. And so now, every single one of us, we have the truth. And I guess the question is, what are you going to do with it? It changed their lives. The resurrection did. Completely changed their lives. The question is, are you going to let it change yours? <laughs>